everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Security Confidential. Uh, today, we are honored to have Naomi Buckwalter join us. Naomi Buckwalter is a cybersecurity professional. She's been in the business for well over 20 years and has worked in a plethora of different areas. She has experience as a security architect, a software engineer. She's worked in security engineering. She's worked at great companies like Vanguard. And she not only has one, but two master's degrees from Villanova University. And when she has time, which we don't know when she does, but when she has time, she enjoys playing volleyball as well. So <laughs> welcome to the show, Naomi. Thanks, Manoj. Uh, I was happy to be here. Uh, we, we appreciate you joining uh, us and uh, hopefully uh, you can uh, enlighten uh, our listeners and, and give them some good guidance. And, you know, one place I thought we would begin this conversation is in this uh, infinitely perceived shortage of cybersecurity professionals. And now for our listeners, I'm going to say you guys have all heard we've done many episodes on uh, hiring cybersecurity people and transitioning from various fields into cyber, you know, and as an entity, um, we have done very well in in finding and recruiting people and, and have gotten great talent, but there is this persistence shortage, right? Um, I'm sure you faced with it, and I think you got some great ideas on this, on how to hire new people into cybersecurity. Take it away. Oh my gosh, uh, I love this topic. So I don't think there's a problem with the supply side, I always say, I think there's a demand gap. There's no skills gap, there's just a demand gap. And the gap really being the hiring managers and people who are building security teams don't realize the benefit of having junior level people on their teams. And by junior level, I mean truly junior level people, not the entry level job descriptions that we see out there right now, right? Which is, uh, you know, five years of experience, CISSP, a master's degree, and all these other things. Yeah, that's not that, what I'm talking about. That's not junior. That's not junior, that's right? Not and, and then, of course, uh, that's based off of the, I think, false narrative that we say that security is not an entry-level job, because that, that's always been curious to me, too, because there's plenty of entry-level work in all the domains of security. Like, there's grunt work everywhere. <laughs> and, well, well, speaking of which, how did you get into security? Oh, if, yeah. If, you're, if you talk about, and we'll circle back to this, but it just, it, it struck me, everyone had a beginning somewhere. That's true. I, I pivoted from a software engineering role, Manoj. So a lot of people like me pivoted into security from the role that they were in. And, and so a lot of people think, oh, you need five years of help desk experience or you need 10 years in IT before you can even start doing security. I think that's completely wrong because nowadays security is everywhere and technology is everywhere. So people have grown up with technology and by the time they're entering the workforce, they're completely fine doing their own kind of help desk things. Like they're probably the go-to help desk person for their family anyway, right? right. So I certainly am still, <laughs> they get free IT work out of me. And I'm talking, I'm talking about these people who are comfortable with technology. It's like, I use an analogy of 
uh, driving a car, right? So you're okay. growing up around cars, you're familiar with cars, you know which direction they're going in and what the basics of the car parts are and what they do. And so by the time you're ready to drive, you actually kind of already know your way around a car. Like you'd be surprised at how much you absorb just by being around cars and being in a car, being driven around. Yep. And so you learn more about it. Be like, hey, this is uh, what a manual brake is versus emergency brake or whatever. <laughs> it's the same thing. Right. Uh, here's where the, you know, all the different things on all the dashboard do. Right. And so you're just learning more because now you're becoming more comfortable with operating a car. So you're no longer just being inside a car and just watching cars. Now you're driving a car. Maybe you're fixing cars and you're just leveling up your car thing, but you're comfortable with cars. And it's the same way with technology. People who are in the workforce now and just gen uh, getting in the Generation Z folks, they're very comfortable with technology. I don't think they remember a time without technology. Whereas you and I, we can remember a time when there was no such thing as the internet, right? Like hey, honestly, what did we even do before the internet, Manoj? I think it was like read books. <laughs> oh, I know we, we did and I still read books, but I got I got to digress for a second. I, I tell you my uh, youngest one, seven-year-old uh we were clearing out the attic and he found an old 9600 baud modem that was put away and he asked me he said dad what is this thing you know what does this gizmo do and i, I tried to explain to him what a modem is and he's like what you you dialed up like how did how did this all work and he also found some cassette tapes in there and he was like how do we play these? <laughs> like, what's on this? And I said, well, we got a bunch of tapes, but we don't have a cassette player anymore. <laughs> so, I, you know, maybe we're going to have to go to the thrift store. Oh, but you're right. Yeah, yeah and, and, and try and hunt down a cassette tape yeah. player somewhere. And technology some... is the same way. It's just evolved to a point where it's just yeah. part of our nature now. It's part of our environment. And so the evolution of security hasn't happened alongside yeah. with it. So even though technology is everywhere and pervasive and people are comfortable with it now, at more at a level for the younger folks and I would say the older folks, although that's Absolutely. always not a true statement, but in general, young people are just more familiar because it's part of their environment anyway. The idea now is security needs to evolve alongside technology, but it hasn't. So the old folks, the older folks, our generation, are currently holding the keys to the gates that are stopping people from coming in. That's just because we're not comfortable with the idea of like people bringing in the, the background that they have. They're like, oh, there's no way that they can know all this because we didn't, we didn't have that opportunity. We only came in with our knowledge of like one specific thing. And then we pivoted from that one yes. specific thing into secu security. Whereas people now have tons of resources, tons of frameworks and control things that they can just look up and everything is free. You can just learn. And I think a lot of people our age, and I will say I'm quite on the older side. I think a lot of people wow. our age are just uncomfortable with that. They're like, there's no way that other people can learn it so quickly because it took me 15 years, right? How come it only takes you 15 weeks? That's impossible. Well, they there's a lot know. more resources available. They have familiarity with technology uh, and the desire to learn. There's a lot of things. I mean, some of our best hires, well, one of our best hires who's now at Okta, uh, he started with us when he was in high school. Yep. Yeah, and I know right. so many of those folks. My my seven-year-old hacked his iPad because his uh, teacher locked him out using that Apple Classroom thing. So his classroom all has iPads, and he was on the iPad. The teacher locks it because she wants them to pay attention, right? 
So after fiddling around with it for a few minutes, he's like, he walks up to the front of the class, announces that he's hacked his iPad. He's like, I know how to get around Apple Classroom. And he showed it in front of the entire class. I was so proud of him, Manoj. I couldn't, That's but awesome. It was awesome. But then the teacher was all upset. So she writes me an email and she says, oh, you know, your son, he disrupted my class. First of all, he hacked his iPad. I'm like, he's a second grader. Maybe the maybe the technology isn't as good as you think it is, right? But I, I had a lecture with my son and I said, you know, you shouldn't be interrupting the teacher, but I'm very proud of you for hacking your iPad. Yeah, absolutely. You got someone, you got a protege in the making. I, it's not difficult. That's why. He figured it out. He knows exactly how to get around those ads on the games. You know, you just put on airplane mode, right? I'm like, oh, that's really smart. <laughs> he figured that's this out. That's really cool. Really brilliant. And like, I'm just like, oh, get around those but, ads. But you look at uh, the NSA, the FBI, mm -hmm. they recruit a lot of very young people, 15, 16, 17 years olds uh, into their organizations, right? That are just brilliant kids that may not have the specific skills that they're looking for, but they have the mindset and they do amazingly well with them. And that's starting from scratch into some very sensitive potential. In fact, there's a lot of scholarships available um, for, for young kids who are interested in the topic. Yeah, I believe it. And the fact that the older generation refuses to think that younger kids can't do this, I think we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Honestly, like kids are very, very smart and they're, and here's the thing, like most people are actually smart enough to learn this. I don't know about you, but I think cybersecurity is quite simple to learn as long as you have a really good technical foundation and can understand just the basics of how basic computer things work. You can build on top of that. Anyone can. Um, you're not going to just jump straight into you know, application security without knowing kind of the basics of building an application in the first place. But once you kind of get past that, it kind of just falls into line. Yes, it does take some time. But if you have uh, that foundation of being comfortable around technology and you have the ability to learn that intelligence or the ability to think critically, almost anyone can do this. And I always want to say like, it, it, we're shooting ourselves in the foot because we think it's harder than it actually is. And so I made the brave statement once and I said, you know, I don't think cybersecurity is that difficult. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, how dare you? That's no, you need to know databases and operating systems and all these things. And I said, like, no, that's that's actually not true. And we need to start just owning the fact that we don't need all that information to do our jobs, essentially. So. No, we don't. Well, we and, do and as, as a testament to your statement, uh, I'll say that, you know, we, uh, my partners and I, uh, most of us are not cybersecurity professionals, and we started a cybersecurity company, right? And, uh, and we've been doing it for four years now. And have we learned a lot? Absolutely. We've learned a tremendous amount. I don't think cybersecurity is is hard. You're absolutely correct. But I do think that you need a mindset, not just for cyber, but for success for any field that you pick of your choosing, whether it is cybersecurity or it is the arts, whatever it may be. If you have a passion for it or a desire to learn it, I think anyone is capable of doing it. Absolutely. And in fact, like here's the thing, why are, if it's if that's not true, why are we making it so difficult? 
for everyone to learn. Don't we want more because people? Because we want to feel good we, about exactly. it. Exactly. It's all about relevancy, right? Like, like oh, no That's one else it. can do what I can do. I'm special. Um, and, and there's a lot of reasons why people are like that. I get that. It's a very human emotion to feel want to feel relevant and to be paid well for our time and everything else. But um, just look at the evidence of, of that happening, right? Look at the failures of our industry and what the colonial pipeline is shutting down. What is it, like 17 states? They no longer yeah. get gas. Like there's, it's just getting worse, and we're not realizing that the gatekeeping is holding us from defeating the cyber criminals. And yes, this whole idea of it's not just data, but it is bleeding into our everyday lives. You know, one day it's gasoline, but what if, what if something were to happen to the pipeline itself and um, explosions were to happen? Right? Like people can lose their lives on cybercrime, and, and we don't realize this, and we think it's just data, but it's not. There's so many people's livelihoods at stake even. And we have oh. to start realizing we need to start taking some sacrifices and realizing we don't need $250,000 per year to do our work when we can be winning against cybercrime and have less stress in the, in the meantime. Like maybe I'll take a salary hit just so we can start beating these cyber criminals. Yeah, you know, that that's a very fine point. And people's lives are at stake. I mean, if you remember, um, a, it was a couple of years ago now, uh, where Saudi, one of Saudi Aramco's refineries got shut down. It was the Stuxnet virus. And what they did was they were trying to disable the safety systems in the refinery. That could, had they succeeded, they succeeded in shutting it down, but had they actually succeeded in disabling safety systems, there, it could have been catastrophic, mm -hmm. not just for the people that work there, but the people that live near that facility. Yeah. Right. I know that's it's so scary to think how close we come to some of these things and we'll probably never hear about the true how close it actually got right and I almost feel that um, the cyber criminals are just getting a little more cruel these days before they used to have some sort of code of conduct within the APT groups but nowadays it's it's really about the money and like how quickly can we get this money and damn the society that we are hurting right so um, yeah we're seeing more of that and that's just the it's just human nature to continue to control each other and want to win above someone else and have someone else be the loser and you're going to see more of this Minoj and I don't want to get too political but in this age of enormous, yeah in this age of enormous wealth inequality where I think it's like the top 10% own like the 90% of wealth in the world or something like it it's just it's insane how just a few thousand families really run the entire world economy and what that means to the rest of us and I am not in the 1,000 or 5,000 families that run the world. I'm in the rest of us, where we are now at the whims of these families who want to control us and to uh, fight for the, the scraps that they leave behind, right? Trickle-down economies does not exist. They do not create well, more jobs. They just hoard the money for themselves. And no one needs to be a billionaire. No one needs to have multi-million dollar houses. You know, maybe you can have one or two, but do you really need 17? No. <laughs> Well, so there's that's, just, yeah. that's human greed, right? Human greed, exactly. And and it goes both. Who was the gentleman? Uh, I, boy, I forget uh, his name. He was caught in the Middle East. Uh, that uh, the the biggest cyber criminal that was ever uh, arrested four hundred some odd million dollars in in takeaway money. And he wouldn't have gotten caught had he not been flashy about <laughs> flashy, yeah, <laughs> about spending the wealth. But you know the the thing there is that cyber crime 
is uh, a perfectly asymmetrical weapon to use, right? Really so is. think about this. Yeah. You can sit in a poor place. I can be in uh, a third world country, and if I have the brains, I can figure out, well, I can make, uh, I don't know, $10,000 a year as a computer programmer, or you know what? I'm gonna hit up Merck for a little bit of cash. <laughs> They're not going to miss 20 million bucks. And you know what? I don't even have to leave my armchair. <laughs> I don't need to get a gun. I don't need to plan a heist. Don't need to do anything. Yeah, it's asymmetrical, before, right? right? It's completely asymmetrical. So it's greed on all sides around. Mm -hmm. And the, the bad news is it's greed, but the good news is that it's greed. Because then from a defense perspective, we can plan for that. When we look at nation state actors, I don't think it's possible to plan for that. If you're a company and you're worried about uh, Russia getting into your environment, well, good luck with that. They're going to get into your environment. So deal with it. You, you know, your band of cybersecurity people, the, even if you're like JP Morgan Chase and you have several hundred people that run your cyber unit, they're no competition against five or 6,000 people who are dedicated PhDs in computer science <laughs> trying to figure out how they're going to mess you over. You're going to lose that fight. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, but for, for everyone else who is a practitioner and trying to just do right by their company, right? Like, yes, nation state actors are always going to be there, but there, there are other more growing threats right now. We're seeing Absolutely. ransomware, right? So it's so easy now. That's the to, good news of the whole thing, it is. right? It's, it's just all about the greed. Um, it's about the greed. And then so we'll, we're going to start seeing a lot more effects on general society. I think there's a story out that I just read about a police station that got hacked, Manoj. It was somewhere really? in America, I forget which state, but the police station got hacked and some files and photos got released. Uh, they're about crime scenes and just things about victims and stuff like that. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Um, and so the criminal gang, uh, whoever it was, uh, threatened the police. They said, hey, we're going to release these images and this information about your police force to the general public if you don't pay this money. So it's a different type of ransomware, right? It's just ransom. Um, extortion. Extortion. There you go. They're moving up the, the curve. Very, the very old, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> but the police refused to pay because, uh, well, first of all, it's illegal to pay ransomware. But the, uh, the police refused to pay. And so what did the criminals do? They actually went to the victim's families and they said, hi, we have uh, photos of your dead one, your dead loved one uh, and their crime scene photo. And we're going to release this oh. to the public if you don't pay us the money. And so what is the victim's family going to do at that point, right? They're like, uh, you know, get victimized all over again. And essentially that's what's happening. Or are they going to pay $50,000, $100,000 just so these uh, criminals not do that? Oh, and that's just of one that. of thousands of stories that's happening more and more and more where not just police photos and things, but, um, you know, hospitals are, are getting hacked and, and people are dying because they can't get access to the information the doctors need about them um and, and and just just things like that where it's starting to bleed into our everyday life and the gatekeepers in cybersecurity don't realize it's not just data it's people's lives and um it just blows my mind when people are just saying oh we we need more elitism we need fewer people in cybersecurity we just get we got to get rid of the bad ones right but 
to me it's a pure numbers game like you said it's asymmetrical one one bad actor can uh keep a security team of hundreds running through rings of fire like at at their whim if they're good they certainly can exactly so we need more players so when you are going in as the CISO of an organization and you are facing these threats, how, what, is your, what is your approach to crafting a defense in depth architecture for them? Yeah, so it, it really is uh, building security culture. It's not just doing the technology, the people process technology. I really want to focus on security culture, making security everyone's responsibility. Because again, it's a numbers game. If you have more people doing security and keeping security top of mind, you're just going to have that many more army uh, fighters for you in this fight against cybercrime. So building security culture is always the number one thing. Um, Building trust and relationships throughout the business so people know that you as a security person aren't there to make their life more difficult. In fact, you're there to be helping them, to get them and guide them to where they want to go in their business and help them get there risk-free or as risk-free as possible, right? You're in the business of risk management. What's ironic with that is that a lot of, there's, I know of companies that have policies that if you get uh, failure phishing test three times, then you're pro- on probation or you get let go. I think that's like totally opposite to a culture of security because you actually want people to report things and and actively participate, right? Yeah. You, if people get real, if people start realizing there's penalties and I could lose my job, then they're going to like go away in silence. Yeah, they're going to hide things from you. And that's exactly where the problems are. It's the things that we don't know about. I would say cybersecurity professionals are very good at um, securing the things they do know about. But when you start talking about shadow IT and things that people just create, I had a a mentee talk about one of his, he works in a large um, university setting, right? And so in this one case, a professor had decided to stand up his own email server under his desk. And how is anyone ever going to know about that? Because, you know, the, the university professors do their own thing. Like everyone knows they get to do their own thing. But the security team had almost no political capital to be able to just be like, hey, professor, we know that you're top of your field, but you can't have an email server under your desk, right? Uh, so like those are the things that we need to start realizing security is on the same team as the people that they're trying to serve. Security is a support industry. A lot of people forget about that too. Like we're here to actually support the people we work with not the opposite. Um, And so, and just realizing that and keeping that in mind will help build that trust in those relationships a lot faster. And uh, you're not going to get those adversarial attitudes towards security, which a lot of us have because we're so poor at things like emotional intelligence and building relationships and winning hearts and minds. Like we're very bad at that because we seem to think that we're really smart, right? We're like, oh, we're, we're way smarter than you, business person. And therefore you have to listen to us. Um, but that's honestly the opposite. It's really the business deciding what they need to do and the security person helps them get there as securely as possible. And you know, um, you, you make so many good points there. One of, the, one of our lessons learned is the biggest cybersecurity asset in a company is its people. And oftentimes, if you go and take a survey, how many of those people have worked with their cybersecurity professionals? You're going to find it's fairly minimal. It's not a big number. And their experience is like some phishing training or something to that effect. But what we have found is if you go in 
and explain to the people why you are asking them to do certain things a certain way. Not just mandate, say, well, there's a policy, uh, no access from Starbucks, okay? Um, all right, you know what's going to happen? Most people are going to blow it off because they're going to go to Starbucks and they're going to get their coffee. And it's convenient for them to log in and do the stuff that they need to do. It's when you start explaining the why. Don't connect to an open Wi-Fi at a conference. Why? I think security professionals, we, most security professionals have done a very poor job in communicating that why. Oh, absolutely. Because what, when, when that why is communicated, you're going to find a lot of people are fairly reasonable. There's always exceptions, but people are very reasonable. And once they understand the why, they're usually apt to following the guidelines. Yeah. Right? And that's a bit of big missing piece in all of this. Right. But here's the reason, like, I think we're bad at explaining the why because we are very bad at people. <laughs> like, we're, we don't have those human skills and the soft skills, the human skills. We, we aren't able to relate to people that we're trying to uh, support, honestly. Like, we can't, we can't empathize with them because we don't have the ability to empathize, honestly. Um, and uh, there's a really good book out here, and I will just plug this. It's written by Absolutely. a man named Christian Espinosa. It's called The Smartest Person in the Room. And I'll just share that. On okay, the screen here. Excellent. Yeah, and, and he posits that the root cause for the issues that we're seeing in cybersecurity is the fact that uh, cybersecurity professionals are just very, very bad at people <laughs> and realizing that emotional intelligence really goes a long way, even longer way than intelligence, IQ. And um, the book is, is extremely thorough in how we can fix those problems, and it really just starts with the cybersecurity professional themselves. So we need to learn how to be better at building relationships and building trust. And Once the trust is there, you can do anything. And this goes back to hiring new people. Yes. Right? Diversity of you, thought. Yes. Diversity of thought. Exactly. And, and you get that diversity of thought. And if you're bringing in new folks, you have the opportunity to mold those people because they typically don't have a lot of preconceived biases. There you go. Yeah. You want to get people that can speak to the people that we want to uh, influence and help, right? So think about how a business is. They're all not just cybersecurity people. They're business folks. They're sales, marketing, operations, finance, legal, like all these groups of people, all these different types of people. Why then aren't our security professionals the same way? All different kinds of people that can relate and talk to all the different other kinds of people. We don't want just one type of person, which is highly technical and very black and white about things, right? We don't want just them. Yes, they are beneficial, but we would be way better at our jobs if we had all different kinds of people. And that includes all the entry-level folks with in intelligence in the, in the realm of uh, emotions and being great human people, people, right? And having those skills that are really hard to learn, honestly. Like you, it, it takes a lifetime of uh, failures in order to feel like, oh, wait, I'm not great at people. I'm not great at making friends. Like, I wonder what's wrong with me, right? And so you start having these reflections about yourself uh, and then you, then that's how you grow. That's how you build. When you have those failures in your life, it might not be the books and the smarts and the technical, but it could be on the other side of that relationships, people, and, and there's a really clear gulf 
between our skill set here. Who knows? Like there is so many oh, people. You're, oh Naomi, my gosh. You're, you're spot on. You are spot so on. So many and of us with, are bad at that. And without fit, I mean, you highlighted failure. I don't think if you really want to be stellar at something, um, you better have experienced failure. Otherwise, you don't know how to do it. You don't know the pitfalls. There's no way you can learn. Those failures are building blocks of success. Absolutely, uh, yeah. And we have seen that over and over again. But when you go to an executive team in a, in a new organization that you're a part of uh, or, uh, or are advising, how do they take this concept of let's get new people and then we're going to mentor them? Yeah. Do you get a lot of pushback from uh, senior executives on that? I don't because I have been working on my people skills and I have had failures in that realm. So I understand the best way to influence and persuade is to build trust first. And so I don't start my first week and be like, hey, I think we need to hire or whatever. I don't do that. Yeah. I wait. I wait until I know that there's a foundation of trust there. And the good news is when you're hired, you already start with a level of trust. Like people are going to hire the best person for the job. They're not going to just hire some random person that they don't trust, they already inherently trust you at some level, right? So you're just going to build on top of that. So that's the good news. You're coming in on your day one and you're meeting with people across the business. You're saying, hey, what kind of things can I help you with? What are your goals? And you start understanding what they need to do. And you're like, well, I'm here as a service for you. Like I'm on your team. I'm never going to say no. I'm going to say, how can we do this instead of no, we're never going to do this. We're going to find you a way to do your job, right? And so you start building relationships and people start saying, hey, this person is trustworthy. I want to have them uh, include them on projects and meetings, and I'm going to loop them in on initiatives. I'm going to ask them for their advice on how to do something securely because that trust is there and you've built relationships. It's the same way when hiring. I, um, I asked for an intern, I think about a couple months in to my current role. So I've only been at Beam for about four months, but two months in, I said, hey, would it be possible if I hired an intern? You know, I just want to get an entry level person, help me write some security playbooks. So I brought in the why, like, here's something that we really need. And we need IT security playbooks. Uh, I can say, hey, I just need a really strong technical writer. That's all I need. Right. I don't yep. need somebody who has years of experience. And hey, only $20 an hour. Great. Like there's there's so many ways to just tell people what you need in a way that they can buy into it quickly. And once you've built that foundation of trust, that that whole like buy in just happens so much faster. See, that's an art in itself. It really is. I think so. And I wasn't good at it, honestly. Like, I've had failures, and this is how I've learned. Um, you can't do everything by yourself as a security person. You need help. And so how are you going to do that? You need people across the business. Uh, you need friends to help you out there. You need eyes and ears, right? You're not going to be at every single meeting. Um, and so what I do also, I have people who are my security champions. So I, I uh, find people key people within the organization that I know are just influencers within their business unit, right? And I find them and I say, hey, you're a really great engineer. Everyone really looks up to you. Can I ask you to be an advocate for security, right? And so I build, I build relationships. I sit down with the principals, the staff engineers, right? And I say, I spend like an hour a week with them and I'm like, hey, I just want to get to know you. Um, let's just figure each other out a little bit. And so those like the walls crumble down in terms of like, former distrust of security professionals in the past, I've had people come up to me and be like, you know, you're the coolest security pro professional I've ever met, 
right? And just because because yeah. I'm like a, a nice person, <laughs> like that's all it takes. It wasn't even that I was like super super cool or anything. It's more like, hey, I was just human at that moment. I was a little vulnerable, and I said, hey, maybe I don't know everything about your environment, but I would really love to be a service for you. And that's oh. all it takes. It's like I'm here to be a service for you. Like, what can I do, right? That that's a very different attitude from. Uh where uh, a lot of sizzles might take i you know as you're not uh mandating you're trying to collaborate with someone and win them over which is a very cool way to uh, win people over and i think it's personally a lot more effective than the negative but let, let me ask you this as a, a woman in cybersecurity. Do you think that's been a plus or minus? Ooh, oh, so personally, I think it's been a plus just because I've gotten a lot more opportunities, I think, because I'm in a female body. So, uh, you know, I've definitely been hired because I'm a female, right? Po possibly like the worst job ever in security that I've ever been in. It was just a terrible uh, job for me. Like, even though I felt successful in a way, like I almost did nothing. You know, it's one of those jobs. Um, I definitely have speaking opportunities because I am a female. Um, you know, I definitely question sometimes like did i get that interview because you know looking to hit your diversity numbers like i always ask that so i think for me personally being a female has benefited me especially and i like to say this the intersection of me being asian and being a female has benefited me so i think having that asian-ness as my ethnicity gives me those stereotypes that you know frankly are very beneficial for someone like myself like we are demure we pay attention to those we follow orders you know where uh we are good workers all those stereotypes check, were smart check. right like so even though they know nothing about me i could be absolutely none of those things but just having right. that kind of uh, side baggage as you were that having that stereotype follow me has definitely benefited me i will just admit it like being a female asian in tech has given me that intersectionality of like not just diversity but i like check off a couple of boxes there you know and just having that um yeah just definitely a lot of benefits there i will say i don't i don't feel comfortable when um the opposite of that is true also where like a white male now gets denied a chance because some diversity checkbox has been has to be filled i don't like that because it's a lose 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 situation like the the person isn't who isn't the greatest fit like whoever it is um might might get the job over somebody who would have been a better fit and then the team that's actually getting this person and i speak from experience here is the team that gets this person now thinks that they just got kind of gypped the person that they wanted it wasn't the person that they got just because of the diversity factor. And then the person who got hired is now on a team that doesn't trust them to do anything. And I found myself in that situation where I was hired because I'm a female. Uh, the team didn't really care for me because they wanted the other person. But, you know, management said, hey, we need to hire a female. So there I go. And then I jump on the team and I realized nobody wanted me to do anything because, you know, I was just there to be pretty. And I didn't, I didn't appreciate that because as a security professional, I wanted real work to do. I wanted to make a contribution. I didn't want to just be a face, right? Like that is not the point. And so, how did you handle that situation? What was oh, your, I just would be advice yeah. to other women who might find themselves in that same predicament? So I didn't know that this was actually the thing until maybe a couple months in. And I remember having a conversation with one of my male coworkers, and I said, you know, it's very difficult to be a female in technology because we have to constantly prove ourselves that we have to know what we have what we know right and so and i said we have to work twice as hard as a man 
just to be taken seriously. And he goes, yeah, you're right. And then I asked him, I was like, point blank, I'm like, so why was I hired, right? He's like, and then the whole story came out. Well, we were told to hire a female, so this is why we hired you, right? Whatever. It, it, it didn't come out that harshly. I think the, the whole reason was like, <laughs> oh, you were just nicer than the other person, <laughs> right? Oh. But like, and then I asked about the other person. I'm like, so, so, so he was a jerk or something? He's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, he was very strong technically. He did the job before, and all these things came out. And I was like, you know, that made me feel terrible because – uh, you know, not only am I trying to bring value to the team, but they're, the team expects nothing of me, right? It's just, it's so bad. So my whole point to other females who might be in this situation, and first of all, I'm sorry that you found yourself in this situation, but get out of there as quickly as possible. There's nothing there for you. Um, the idea is like, they're not going to be convinced that you can actually do anything. Unfortunately, it will take so much longer and so much more stress for you to to say, hey, yeah, I do know what I'm talking about. And you gave me this chance, not just because I'm a female, but because I can bring value to the team. But the the whole idea is, do you want to spend your time and waste your time trying to convince people who probably are never going to be convinced? You know, like, cut your losses, go somewhere else. And that's what I did. And, you know, um, that that's that's very good advice for a multitude of reasons, emotional reasons, but also for our listeners. I'm going to put a link to Carla's episode on here. Carla was in the recruiting business. She knows a lot about uh, women in tech. And, and she talked about the fact that women in cybersecurity, all you listeners out there, make 30% more money than men do. So if you leave your job, you can probably find one for a little bit more pay. Um, so I'll link her in the, in the, in the show, and uh, you guys can go listen to that particular chapter of it. But um, Naomi's advice here is absolutely uh, correct, and, and uh, you won't have a hard time out there if you go looking. That's right. Yeah. So, you, you know, when we had initially talked, um, you had mentioned a term, shifting left, if you recall. Yes, shifting left. What were, what were you referring to? Okay, so you can take this from a lot of different angles, but if we shift left uh, in things like application security, now you're putting the onus on the developers and the DevOps engineers to do more of the security tasks that were traditionally done by the security professional at the end of that pipe, that development okay. life cycle. So shifting left for application security, that's one thing. But um, I think I might have men mentioned this instead for broader broader use of security where we shift left down the line for the rest of the organization. So no matter where you are in your role or within the organization, you have security responsibilities. So shifting left just means everyone does security. Everyone, security is everyone's responsibility. It's not just centralized to the security team because one, we're gonna, we're just too small. We can't handle all those things. Two, we're not gonna be able to because secu security is required in almost every single thing that we do nowadays. Like everything's right. connected. There's technology supports the business. Like there's gonna be security uh, opportunities that the security team wouldn't see because there's just not enough of us. We can't be at every single meeting, right? So the idea is to shift left, get everyone to do security and keep it top of mind and realize that they have a responsibility just as much as the security professional does. And yes, the security professional is gonna be able to do more and get more in depth about certain technical aspects or policy aspects or, or whatever it is, different parts of the control are meant for the security professional to really guide and lead and, and train people on how to do it well. But it is the person within the business 
their responsibility is also to do security within their own role. And so once that happens, you start having an entire, uh, I think I mentioned this already, an army of security people, not just security, but an army of people who are doing security. And that's what you want. You want more people doing security. It doesn't matter if that's your full-time role or not. Like as long as you're doing security, you're do, you're doing your basic password hygiene, right? Like you're using a password yeah. manager, you're not connecting to public Wi-Fi, you're using a VPN. Those are the basics. Those are the things that everyone can do. It's not just the security team, right? Everyone should be doing this. The security team is there to guide and to give the tools, to train people how to do these things, to, um, you know, help the developers and the engineers, whoever it is, building things, how to do it well, how to keep the business moving forward in as secure way as possible and manage the risk for the business. That's what security is for, risk management. It's not there to do all the security things. You know, um, I got nothing to argue with you on that. That's, <laughs> that's, I read a lot. That's, that's exactly correct. Uh, yeah. and, and you gave some very practical tips there and and they make a lot of sense and if everybody does do that then you're going to close a lot of the vulnerabilities that can lead an organization to get compromised and and you eliminate the low-hanging fruit so the bad guys might think let's go knock on somebody else's door because this is not worth our time to go deal with that's totally right yeah like the what the most common way of breaches is what like the layer eight or the people yeah. like the like criminals are going to find the weakest entry point they're not going to spend hours of their day just trying to hack into your infrastructure like the easiest way is to fish somebody honestly like, yeah. that's the easiest way and so um yeah so we need to make sure everyone understands their responsibility and as long as you're building that security culture everyone knows security is everyone's responsibility it might not be their full-time job, but it's definitely their responsibility. Then you're going to see fewer breaches. You're going to see less impact to the business. And the security teams are going to just be more successful. Like, uh, we're going to see less of it in the news, right? We're going to have more gas for our cars <laughs> and less <laughs> ransomware in our hospitals. We're going to see evidence of the fact that more people are taking security seriously and it just, it starts with everyone we we tend to blame like hr oh they're not screening for the right candidates or we tend to blame the c-level like oh they're not giving us enough money but in fact it's like you have people who can do security already you just don't know this you're not security professionals within your business aren't building those relationships and that trust and that culture to make everyone know that security is their own responsibility too it's not just centralized to the security team in fact that's the reason why we're losing is because the security teams are trying to do all the security things and they can't because they're not scaled to do that um and also they're just not good enough honestly <laughs> like we're just not good enough we can't do all the things and we're losing because we're getting popped in the easiest way possible like we're getting fished where we have you know um a server out there that is protected with a weak password or whatever it is like there's just so many things that we can be doing and i wish more people could see that in Rush. i really do i i hope people take your advice and one thing I would like all our listeners to do is not reuse their passwords. That's a simple little tip. If you want practical cybersecurity and you're not part of the team and you just want to do something, don't reuse your password. Even if you change it a little bit, you're going to make it much more difficult for people. Get a password manager. Password Heck, manager those things are yeah. cheap. Password you know, pay, pay attention. Use the long pass phrases, right? The longer, the better. It's not just about your complexity. It's about the length 
um yeah just things like that like those are things that people should be growing up knowing it's just like the car thing right if if my child doesn't know about password managers by the time he's 10 i've done something wrong (laughs) right (laughs) uh and he's seven right now i have a seven and a four and they already know privacy they know not to talk to strangers on the internet like never talk about yourself or your parents or your school or anything right i make sure their pictures are never online they're like there's so many basic things that people can be doing that like the complete opposite is true it's like they're oversharing parents they talk about their kids and their hospital stays and all these things that can harm the kids when they grow up and like people don't realize that everything is connected and uh, uh karma is a real thing <laughs> like that's all it is um just be careful out there because uh, bad people will always try to take advantage um and that's just human nature we always have this uh desire to control and to have power and it doesn't stop when it comes to the internet. So. So, which gets us back to understanding the risk. So how do you uh, do two things, quantify risk and then communicate it to the C-level in a way that they're going to actually do something with it? Yeah, so C-level really only cares about one thing. It's the money, right? Like, so if you come with them with some data, I always bring data. Don't drive decisions with emotions. I do do the data. Um, So there's plenty of frameworks out there that help calculate probability and impact. And um, if you think of risk as just the um, multiplication of probability and impact, right, the cost of the business if something were to go south, you can actually use frameworks. The one I use is published by the Open Fair Group. Um, I think their their URL is like app.fairu.net or something like, and it's a free tool. And it basically just does a simulation using the Monte Carlo algorithm to calculate probability for a certain uh, situation happening. And then you can also give it dollar values of like how much it would cost to fix something. And so like the amount of impact to the business is very well calculated and you end up with a number. And so as long as you bring those numbers to the business and to the C-level, they can't argue with that. They're like, oh, um, so this risk would cost us $5 million if something were to happen, but only $100,000 to fix. Okay, like let's let's fix that one, right? <laughs> like let's do that. Um, and so the more data that you're giving to the executives, the easier it is to just convince them, like here's how much money we need, here's how much risk we're gonna be saving the business, right? Here's the probability of this happening. And like almost no one argues with you as long as you have the data and you show them like how you arrived at this conclusion, right? But if you're coming with emotions like, oh, today uh, I need a, sim i need a better sim tool right like like that's not going to help drive your business you're you're not going to be winning hearts and minds that way you're not going to get the money that you need you need to bring data to the executives because that's all that's all they really know it's like how do we get revenue how do we get new profits uh how do we maintain our book of business like the security professionals are bad at this also it's like one thing they're bad at being people people Another thing is like being under, like, do you even know how your business makes money? (laughs) Like, that's another thing that cybersecurity people are really bad at. And I'll just tell you, I know this from experience. When I was at Vanguard, I had literally no idea how Vanguard made money. Like, to me, people just gave Vanguard money. Like, that was just a thing. And mutual funds, like, don't we just get money from people? Like, that was how we made, like, that's not how we made money. No way. Um, so it's one of the largest mutual funds. It's one of the largest. On the yeah, I think they have. They're worth more than some countries. They are. They, yeah, I think they have seven trillion dollars of assets under management, uh, and so good for them. But <laughs> uh, they have a revenue problem, which is hilarious. So they actually don't make too much money. They're um, technically a nonprofit, which is hilarious. Also, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, all their money goes back into their mutual funds. So. Um, 
Yeah. So anyway, so I didn't know that. I, I had no idea. So I spent some time away from security just to do uh, business work. So for about a year, I was just in the business, understanding how Vanguard made money. And then, you know, I transferred back into IT essentially, but I took a year off just to learn the business. And I think a lot of security people need to do that is just to understand how their company works and like how the company makes money. Because once you get that, you're like, oh, wait, risk is a lot easier to calculate now because I know how we could lose this money, right? Because I know how it's made. <laughs> so uh little things like so that. what about using cyber as a revenue center oh oh Great. i love this idea yeah there's plenty of opportunities so if you're winning trust with your customers your customers are going to come to you so you know you're you're doing the security things right you know you're um you're showcasing your security team like there's ways of doing this where security cannot just be a cost center you can win trust with your customers and that's essentially what it is your customers are going to come to you because they trust your product they trust your brands they trust all these things and they know their data is safe, right? And so if you show your customers that you are doing the right things and that you, whatever you have all these certifications, even though compliance is not the same thing as security, but security is compliance. So glad you said that. Yeah. So, so there, there is ways of showing your customers that you are doing right by them and that, um, you know, all your data is secure and you can like make it a, like a thing. You can be like, Hey, today we're going to showcase this on our marketing website you know security team blah like and then and then your customers like ooh, you know my last place that i used this service for was terrible with security i'm looking for a better option here now right and so they sign up for your service or whatever it is uh could be a number of things and this it works with so many different industries like i'm in the insurance business right now and for sure we don't do face-to-face -face things with like the public right we don't have individual level insurance we work with companies and with providers and, and partners and things like that but the providers are going to come to us and they know security has done well enough that they they can give us the data that they want to share with us etc they want to work with us and they want to just know that security has done well here and so to build that trust with our partners and our providers and different things then we can win business that way but if the opposite were true and we didn't have a security team or we didn't care about security right like who's going to want to work with a company that does that nobody so building I, trust with whoever you're working with. Yeah, and I also think, you know, a lot of the technologies that, that are there and things that we implement for security can apply to the client side as well. And, um, and if we do that, that might open up an opportunity to provide a whole new set of services and products that maybe weren't possible before. But I, I rarely hear security professionals uh, talk about it. I think um, we have we've had a couple folks on the show that have, uh, but you're part of a very small group that actually recognizes that, and I think that's a very powerful possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I will say, like, I don't love it when product teams like charge for security features. Like, you know, if you want to turn on two FA, this costs you blah blah blah. That should not. That, be I know. The case, I almost I mean. feel like oh, that. Okay, so it's like two sides of me like yes security could be making money right but then at the same time who's going to want to buy that when it's free you should, you should be free security should be free honestly uh i like to say security should be invisible if possible like that's the best kind of security and security should be free like that should be a basic human right at this point like your data should be secure your your life should be secure i think it, sh it should be a basic human right just like you know the pursuit of happiness and water and like clean air and stuff like that like Geneva Convention, go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, on that note, uh, no, Amy, uh, we are. I'm sorry, I mispronounced it. Naomi. Oh, a lot of people I do. It's said okay, that. Yeah, Naomi. I said Naomi. Uh, you've. Uh, 
I people always butcher my name and I mispronounce. I'll edit that Did out. Did I kill it I'll too? Remember. Did I say it wrong? No, you didn't. Oh, no, hooray. you. You're perfect. You're way more smarter than I am. So you would get it right. I, <laughs> I, 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 I messed it up. But uh, we're at the hour, and I and we had permission from you for the hour. So, oh, good point. I want to yeah. give a chance to you to plug whatever you would like. A any events, things that you're doing, you want our audience to know about out there we can put links in the show notes and let us know what else uh... oh that's awesome um yeah i am starting a nonprofit. it's called Cybersecurity gatebreakers so we'll have a website up soon when is this going out Manoj? because i still have to publish everything. uh it'll be three weeks out okay that gives me enough time so cybersecuritygatebreakers.org um just a place where hiring managers can see that it is possible to hire new folks brand new to technology and how to do that Right. It's kind of like a guide or a handbook on how to actually do that. And it's it's quite simple. Like you just have to see other people do it and see that other people are successful. Uh, and you don't need to hire someone with five years experience or a CISSP or a master's degree before they can even touch your systems. Like there's ways of getting them to do your grunt work. Right. Everyone has grunt work. And so the uh, nonprofit, which I literally just got, by the way, approved by the tax uh, gods that are out there. So I just got my little notification. Uh, cybersecurity. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm looking also for volunteers to help me build this out. So um, it's not just a one person show, but uh, definitely a labor of love just to help with the demand side, right? The supply side is going to be fine. There's always going to be people looking to break in. Now I'm on the side of trying to convince other people, hiring managers, security teams that it's okay to hire a new person. And here's how to do it. And that's cybersecuritygatebreakers.org. That's fantastic. And uh, you are going to be contributing directly to our economy because you're going to get people great jobs that may, I hope so. they may not have gotten otherwise. Yeah. Um, you know, we're doing, uh, you know, uh, we do a lot of work with school systems and uh, at the high school level and even at the pre-collegiate level uh, where, you know, young people who want to explore cyber, maybe we do a lot of engagements we can once you have your organization up and running, it might be great to have you as a guest uh, at one of these educational events. Oh, I'd events. love that. And you yeah. can talk a little bit about your uh, your organization and what you're doing and getting uh, young people involved. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Still try to bring it up from the ground up. So right now it's just a static HTML website. <laughs> Hopefully well, there'll be more later. Well, you're brilliant. You're talented. And it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I hope to have you back again sometime, especially once your organization up is up and running. We'd love to get an update from you. And, oh, that'd be awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you know, that. And, and get some learnings out there. I hope so. I, I hope there people are convinced that it's okay to hire entry-level people because there's definitely a need for it. That's for sure. And, and security professionals don't just pop out of nowhere. They need to be trained and mentored in the right way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And on that note, everyone, we're signing off for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care, Naomi.